That's exciting. World Vision has the highest rate of success of wells that function 90% success rate. So when you're investing, you know it's successful. So let me review, because I'm a technology expert. And you can go to the web page, click on the picture of the 6K, the cdac.ca 6K website will come up. Then you can click join the team, which will take you to a page that verifies you understand how dangerous it is to walk six kilometers. And you could actually injure yourself. You agree, you click that, then you make your account. And you can personalize that account, add your picture. Um, Bev and I and my grandson Royal, it's Bev's grandson too, will be walking because we want to beat the record of a one-year-old. Now it will be a six-week-old that's going to walk this thing. So it'll be great. So customize your page. Then you can, um, you can send it to your family and your friends. There's a, actually an email uh, option to do that. Let them know you're, you're walking 6K for water and ask them if they would donate to you or to actually join the team and walk with you. And then uh, we need to have everyone ask their friends, just their contact list. It's not that you have to go around personally asking people, but just your contact list that you email and ask them for a donation and it will be a successful event. So you want to be part of that. If you don't understand how to do that, just go to the info desk after the service and we will help you uh, get onto line and to register and be ready for May, the actual walk. So thank you for doing that. It's going to be great to partner with Stonebridge. Our schools are involved with this as well. It'll be uh, wonderful that we are supplying water for those who don't have clean water. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and Receive the morning offering. Just a bit of an update. We let some of our people know that by June 30th, we're trusting God for another $190,000 in our generosity account. That account helps us to launch ministries, to help our mission partners, but also helps us to maintain this building. So would you be aware of that and pray about it as you give this morning? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to give back to you that which you've entrusted to us. We pray that you would use our generosity to help people in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to those who are listening online. Glad you found us and hope that this is a help to you. Uh, if you wish to access... Uh, Message notes, they are in your program this morning. They are also available to you on your Bible app, version. And if you collect, uh, connect or click on more on then events, Circle Drive will come up. You can add to those notes. You can save them. You can share them. And hopefully you do that.
If you scroll down on that app, you'll find a parent queue, which is really important for parents and grandparents to keep the conversation with your child throughout the week, and it coincides with what they're doing back in the kids' zone this morning. Well, I'm very excited about uh, today, and we're going to be discussing again the message series, Why Faith Doesn't Work. Or rather, why doesn't faith work? That's a better question. Why doesn't faith work? And today, we're going to talk about a definition of faith because there's a, a lot of misunderstanding about what faith is, and a lot of people have been hurt by a wrong definition. Therefore, you have expectations that are incorrect, and that can lead to all kinds of problems in your life. So last week, we began by introducing the type of faith that most of us have participated in called circumstantial faith. Now, uh, no one really teaches this as a thing that uh, you should, you know, a Christian definition of faith, but sometimes we absorb this definition in a way that wasn't meant to be taught. This is when we attempt to see God in the circumstances of life. And when the circumstances are positive and remarkable, we tend to say, oh, yay, God, isn't God good? That's circumstantial faith. But when things go bad, we wonder, where is God? What happened to him? And when they're really bad, when things go really south, we despair, and sometimes we give up on God, and we say things like, there is no God. He's not talking to me. He's not coming through. So we, when we have circumstantial faith, it is propped up by our ability to see God and to interpret God in the circumstances of life. Circumstantial faith I pitched last week, is very fragile, really fragile. And sometimes when you, when you have circumstantial faith, it is really inconvenient, especially when it intersects your ethics and morality and you're looking around at your circumstances and you begin to adjust your beliefs by the circumstances that you're in. If the foundation of your faith is circumstantial, you will begin to choose things that displease God and dishonor God. And eventually, the pressures of life lead us to a place where things don't make sense. God doesn't make sense. Things can happen that don't fit the framework of your view of God. And some of you have come to that place. Tragedies of life have come. Difficulties have come. The sorrows of life have come. And they've weighed down on you. And maybe you're ready to toss your faith, or maybe you have. And some toss church. They, they toss God. They say, this faith thing doesn't work because you have circumstantial faith. And when 
really, really difficult things happen. You begin to see God in a clouded way. Now, I had circumstantial faith for a long, long time. And I was a pastor. I should have known better. And really difficult things happened for a very long time. And I kept praying and praying and trusting and trusting. And I'm saying, God, I'm doing ABC. You should do XYZ. God, I'm doing ABC. Don't you see me, God? I'm doing ABC. I'm so good. I'm keeping my nose clean and doing all these things. Why aren't you coming through? And over a period of time, I began to become disillusioned. And some of you may be disillusioned with God because you're doing ABC and God's not doing XYZ in response. So last week we stated that the foundation of faith, here's the Christian foundation of faith, is a person. It's a person. Not answered prayer. The foundation is not answered prayer. It's not something that has happened in circumstances. It's on a person. And the person is Jesus Christ. God, his Father, sent him into the world. He walked on this earth. He experienced every disappointment, every pressure, every temptation like any one of us would have experienced. Yet, he did it without any hesitation or disillusionment. He taught his disciples. He taught the crowds. He died on a Roman cross. And he rose again the third day. He came out of the grave alive the third day, as he had predicted. And he was seen by some women, by some disciples, by the crowds of people. 500 people at once saw this Jesus who died. They saw him alive. The disciples who lost their faith during the period of time that Jesus was in the tomb. They just, they, they said, what? I thought he was the Messiah. They had an expectation that was incorrect. Not only were they disillusioned, they walked. But on the third day, they became believers again. And it's always based on a person. In fact, these disciples were so convinced that they spread this news around the world. And here we are, 2,000 years later. We're sitting here in this auditorium talking about this Jesus who came out of the grave alive. And these disciples actually gave their lives. They died declaring that Jesus is the Messiah who came out of the grave alive. Now, I want to talk to you who are Jesus followers for just a moment. If God never ever showed up in the circumstances of your life and was totally silent. You could wake up with confidence in God because of something that he did in history. You could be confident in that God because Jesus came into the world for you and he died on a Roman cross for you bearing all of your failures, all of your sins, everything that you think that separates you from God. 
He died for every imperfection. And he came out of the grave alive. And it's a way of saying to you, with his outstretched arms in the cross, I love you this much. That's what Jesus did. So if he's as silent in your life, if he's not coming through the way you think he should, you can have absolute confidence to place your faith in Christ. And you're safe there. Now, today, I want to give you a definition of faith. And this is probably one of the most important messages of the series. This is so important. And I hope that you would place this definition on a card and make it visible to you, or better yet, memorize this. So when you're asked about your faith, you could say, well, here's a Christian definition of faith. Now, for many of you, this may be a def different definition that you were accustomed to. And for those of you who have been a Jesus follower for a very long time and wonder why God doesn't answer your prayers or whether why he doesn't come through for you and somebody told you, oh, you don't have enough faith or there's something wrong with you, you can pull out this definition and refute that and tell him to be quiet. Nicely. All right. So we're going to look at a section in Hebrews this morning to do this. Now, there is something in all of us that wants to explain an eternal God and shrink him down into a manageable God. Us humans just like to do that. We want a manageable God. Uh, we can carry that God inside of our hand and say, you know, here's my God. Now, some religions of the world actually do this. They have idols. In fact, I went into one restaurant uh, this week, and there was a little statue, and underneath was some food for that little God. That God never eats the food, but they put it out there week after week and day after day. But Christians... Some Christians have this manageable God. They put God in this little box. And so, you know, if they say to God, okay, God, I'm going to set you over here. This is, you know, you stay there. I'm going to go to spring break now and do what I want to do. And now if I get in trouble, I'll come back for this little manageable God. And God, please rescue me from the stupid decisions I make or the things that I do that might get me in trouble or the bad relationships that I get into because we want a manageable God, don't we? Now, every religion has this, and that's why I said there are so many idols so that we can re remove God from a scene or we can manipulate God. Or, uh, so this is important to consider. Now, the section that we're going to look in at this morning in Hebrews makes God who God is. And God is completely unmanageable. In fact, if you've walked with God for any length of time, you will say to yourself, boy, God is wild. Like, I didn't see that coming. This God who created the universe doesn't fit within my box. 
He's out of the box all the time. It just drives me wild. I don't understand this. But God is wild and he's not manageable. And this view makes God even threatening. So now let, let me tell you what faith is not. Before we get to this definition, here's what faith is not. It's not real quick. Okay? So we live in a microwave age. We want you know, fast food, we want high-speed internet, and when we get internet, we want it at a higher speed, and so the, the companies always tell you, you can get, even for more money, you can get a higher speed. We want things that are quick. Faith is not quick. Secondly, it's not a power or a force. I hear so many people say to me, you know, the universe is telling me, and I think, Whoa, wait a minute. The universe, when it speaks, it doesn't speak nice things. There are floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. That's the universe I know. So it's not a power or force. It's not karma. It's not linked to something in the past that you're kind of repeating again and again. It's not karma. It's not name and claim it. And this is probably where we get a bad definition of faith. It's not that you put a picture of that nice house or the guy that's a hunk or the girl that's the babe on the fridge and, you know, this nice new car and, and we say, in Jesus' name, I want this. It's not name and claim it. That's not faith. It's not something that stands outside God. It's not. It's not a mat. It's not incense. It's not a method. We view faith as a lasso that we get around God's neck and then we pull the rope down to get God in our direction. And in the hope that I will get God to do things that God was never wanting to do in the first place. That's not faith. It's not faith. Biblical faith is not a power you tap into. In fact, Jesus once taught that if you have tiny faith, like a mustard seed, you can do great things. So the issue is not the size of your faith. It is the object of your faith. So we'll unpack that piece of information in a couple of weeks. So biblical faith is not a formula. You don't figure God out so that God will do something for you. If you pray and pray and pray and pray and you go to church every week and you fast and you serve and you give, and if I do enough for God, then... He will do something for me. That is not biblical faith. It's not a formula. And it's not the same as confidence. It's not the same as confidence. And this is often taught or caught in Christian communities. If I just believe and believe and believe and believe, the riders will win the Grey Cup. <laughs> what is that? That's insanity, really. But... Actually, it's a combination of confidence and hope. 
It's a combination of confidence and hope. Hope says, I hope things work out. I hope, again, the riders will do it. So, we hope based on the past, and we believe it will work. Now, I don't know for sure, but I hope it does, we say, and therefore, I believe it will. That is not faith. It's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is something entirely different. But when you use these words interchangeably, after a while, when you're reading the Bible, you begin to see the word faith, and you think you know what it means. You think, ah, I hope things work out. I hope we win. I hope I get that date. I hope I get that job. That is fine, but it's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not all that complicated. It is so simple that when I give you the definition this morning, you will be disappointed. And the longer you are a Christian, the less you will like this definition. Just before word. In fact, those of you who know the Bible, when you see this definition that I will give you in a while, you're going to say, oh, yeah, but what about Genesis 6? And what about Revelation 12? And what about... All I ask of you is that when we're finished, you take the definition and you run it back through your life. And you will find that this definition explains a lot in your life. Not because I found this great definition, but because it's, this is what Scripture has taught ever since the Scripture was written. The other thing that this definition will do is to help you understand scriptures that are otherwise very difficult to understand. So to move this forward, I want to ask you some questions. Now, I don't want you to answer out loud, just, you know, internally. These questions are to help you think about what biblical faith is. Now, it's extremely simple, but we've complicated it because we want a manageable God. That's what we want. Now, here we go. The first part comes from Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it says this. Now faith is. Oh, here's the definition, maybe. It's confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in what we hope for. So faith is being sure of what we hope for. So there's a difference between hope and faith. Faith is hope one step further. I hope things work out, but faith is absolutely sure that things will work out. So what is faith? Now, if I were to call Mayor Charlie Clark and ask him for lunch on Friday, and Charlie, you know, he's busy. He doesn't answer his phone. It goes to his voicemail, and I say, Hello, Your Worship, Mayor Charlie Clark. This is Alden Bolt. I would like to have lunch with you Friday at Earl's. I hang up. What would have to happen for my hope of Charlie to meet me for lunch to the point where I can say, I believe with confidence that the mayor will have lunch with me on Friday at Earl's. What would have to happen? From hope 
from hope he will to have absolute confidence to say, yes, he will. That's faith. Because faith is being sure of what we hope for, right? And so that's the first clue. And then the second part is, and assurance of what we do not see. By see, he doesn't mean physically see. What he's talking about is being certain about something that hasn't happened yet. How can I be certain that the lunch we're having and we haven't had yet is in fact going to happen? What does have to happen? By simply calling Charlie and asking him, it's I hope so. I hope Charlie shows up Friday at Earl's. But what turns my hope into faith is when Charlie calls me back and says, hey, Alden, I got your voicemail. Absolutely, let's have lunch Friday at Earl's. Oh, my hope is coming to faith. Then he continues in Hebrews 11, verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. He wants us to understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament defined faith. And when you read the stories of Abraham and Moses and David and you read of Jesus and Peter and Paul and, and James and John and Luke and so on and others with great faith, this is what I'm talking about right here. Something happened that allowed them not only to be hopeful but to have confidence so that their, their hope became faith. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So if you're a believer here this morning, if you're a Jesus follower this morning, and you believe that Genesis is true, which means that God made the world out of nothing. First there was nothing, and then God spoke, and there was something. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, a seven-day creation or a 7,000 years creation. You can figure that out for yourself, maybe. But what we're talking about is that there was a creator of the creation. And it's based on what we have confidence in. Why do you believe that God created the, the earth? It says, the writer of Hebrews says, you believe it by faith. Now, did this happen because one day you woke up and you sat on the edge of the bed and you said to yourself, today I'm going to believe that God created. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Is that how it happens? No. I'll answer the question for you. In other words, do you believe because you faithed it into reality? That you convinced yourself by faith that it is true? Is that how it happened? He goes on, the writer to Hebrews does, with a bunch of illustrations of faith. Pick up verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, when he warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Why did Noah build the ark? Did Noah one day go around and say to himself, Boy, this world is wicked. 
Like, it is bad. Like, God's got to destroy this earth. I mean, here's my strategic plan. I'm going to build a boat. I'm going to lasso God and faith him into making it rain. And of course, he never seen, Noah had never seen rain before. Did he come up with this strategic plan? To say, we're going to build a boat and God's going to destroy this earth by rain. And he puts it on the prayer chain and gets everybody praying. You know, God, let there be rain and I'll build this boat to get this thing started and God will see my amazing faith and he will respond to my faith. Is that how it happened? No, it says that God warned about things not seen. It had never rained on the earth before, so God didn't know what rain was. And God told Noah to build the ark, so Noah built the ark by faith. you imagine Noah, the difficulty he went to building this ark? And his neighbor sitting on the deck having coffee, and he looks over at Noah and says, what are you building? And Noah says, I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat in the middle of? Because God's going to destroy the earth with rain. Noah, what's rain? Can you imagine what he went? There was faith. And what was that based on? Who initiated the building of the ark? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, God did. So by the verse continues, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now skip down to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his, in, his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Now this is a flashback to the Old Testament story where God came to Abraham one day and said, I want you to pick up everything that you have, leave your family, and go to a place that you don't know where you're going. And when you get there, I'll tell you to stop, and you're, you're supposed to settle down there. And, no, and Abraham says, God, like, all my family's here. If, if Sarah and I have kids, we have babysitters, right? Right here. God says, no, no, no. I want you to leave. I want you to go to a place that you don't know. And I want you to set up a nation there. And so he did. It says he went. He responded in faith. Verse 13. All these people were living by faith when they died. Well, with the exception of Abraham and Noah, of course. But they did something based on what God had promised them. So why do I believe that God created the world? Because it was our, our idea? No, because God said in the book of Genesis that he did. And we believe the revelation and that was an act of faith. And the people continued to live and act in faith even though they did not receive what? They did not receive the things 
promise. And I've underlined that in your notes. Here's what I want you to see, and then I'll give you the definition. The bridge between hope and faith is the promise of God. The bridge between hope and faith is the promise of God. The reason I can show up to Earl's on Friday and Charlie is there is because of the promise. He called me back and he confirmed lunch. Now, if he never returned the call, if I left the voicemail and he did not return the call, and I went to Earl's and I sat down at Earl's and said, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. The waitresses would probably think I'm crazy. But I cannot faith Charlie to come when he didn't promise. The bridge between hope and faith is the promise of God. And the verse says this. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. And sometimes your faith makes you look like a foreigner and stranger on this earth. The things that God puts into your heart that he says, I want you to do. Sometimes you look crazy. But God gives you the promise and He asks you to believe in the promise to exercise faith that He will come through. That is faith. But if I sat there and says, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, it's just hope gone wild without a promise. Okay, here's the definition. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do everything he has promised to do. Let's say this together. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do everything he has promised to do. That's faith. It is saying to God, I believe everything that you have said. I will plan my life around what you said. Like Noah, if God says you build a boat, you build a boat. So if you're a Christian, and if you buy the Christian worldview, it means that we can come to God and ask for anything we want, and we can believe that he can answer our prayer. And we can hope he can answer our prayer, but if you don't have faith, but, but you cannot faith God into doing anything. You cannot faith God into doing what you want. There's the distinction. Faith isn't a power or force. Faith is simply confidence that God can do what you've asked him to do. It is steady confidence that God loves you based on the revelation of Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ. So you can come to God this morning and say, God, I want you to forgive all my sins because he has promised. He has made that promise. And you can come to him in faith and believe. Now let me show you how this works in the New Testament. In Luke 5, verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy, which means 
The, it was game over for this, this guy, the leopard. No hope of family, no kids, no social life. He, was, he, he would have no job. No one would hire a leper. They were quarantined. He was committed to a life of poverty. And when he saw Jesus, and, and this is important because, remember, he would have known and heard about Jesus, the miracle worker, the guy that touched the deaf guy and he heard, the, the lame man and he walked, the blind man and he sees. He, he heard about all of these miracles. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged him. And he was saying, Jesus, I need something from you. I, I hope that you will do something for me. Now, I love the way he begged. He said, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I mean, that was the correct prayer. It wasn't, I know you will, I know you will, I know you will, I'm faithing it into action. Rather, I have absolute confidence that if you are willing, God, you can make a difference in my circumstances. But I'm not sure if you're willing. I'm not sure if you are willing. And then it says that Jesus reached out and he touched the man. And he said, I'm willing. I'm willing. And that was the kind of faith that Jesus was looking for. And that's all the faith that I need. It is a recognition that, God, you have the power to do what I cannot do. And if you are willing, are you willing? And Jesus gave him two words. He said, be clean. And it took two words from Jesus. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Friends, I don't know why God doesn't says I'm will, say I'm willing to every person. That's a question I will have for him in heaven. But all I know is that it's not up to me. It's up to God. And the bridge between hope and faith is the promise. It's the promise of God. It is not up to us it is up to God and we simply trust what God has revealed and God says to you this morning I love you nothing you've done can separate me from you I accept you just trust me I promise you life and you can leave this morning trusting by faith that God accepts you and gives you eternal life and a new beginning I was in the middle of preparing this message when I received a phone call from the wife of one of my friends in another province. And she said, I don't know if you've heard about my husband, but he had a seizure and was rushed to the hospital and eventually flown to Calgary. And they found some tumors, four tumors in his brain, and they're cancerous. And one of them bled, and he had a, what would amounted to as a stroke, and he is paralyzed from the right side. He cannot move his arms and his, 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 his leg. He, he has lost his speech. And I said, oh, my goodness, my goodness. 
Uh, I'll be in the area, I said, in a few weeks, and I'll come to visit him. When I landed in Calgary, I rented a car, drove a couple hours to see him in the hospital, and there he was, paralyzed. No speech. This was one of the most articulate men that I've known in my life. A great person, a great friend. We cried together. At the end of the time, I joined his wife's hand and took his paralyzed hand. I prayed this prayer. God, I know, I know you're able. I know you have the power. I know who you are. Would you be willing to touch my friend? Just a few weeks back, I received an email, and the wife of my friend was giving me an update. He had some MRIs, and she thought she was going to a meeting with the doctor to talk about chemotherapy and treatment and so on. And the doctor said that the tumors have, have shrunk, and there's no cancer. There's no cancer. And she was shocked. She was really shocked. She, she, you know, asked several times, three or four times. The doctor said, there is no cancer. Just thank God. The difference, the bridge between hope and faith is the promise of God. Now, let me tell you, I've prayed for many people the same prayer, and some of them I've conducted their funerals. I have no reason. I am not here to explain God. My God is not manageable. I cannot lasso him and faith him into healing every person I pray for. But all I know is this. It's taken the pressure off of me and I put it on the wild God and I can trust that wild God because in all of his wildness, he's wildly in love with me and with you. That's the God that you can trust. Would you stand with me in prayer? There'll be a team of people here that if you want to talk to us, you would like prayer, we'll be available. And common ground is open. If you want to sit and visit with people, that would be great. If you're a guest this morning, we have a book at each exit as a thank you for being here this morning. Next week, I want to talk to you about when God says no. When you pray and you have faith and God says no, how do you handle it? Invite your friends. It's going to be a great day. We'll celebrate mothers along the way too. Let's pray. God, go with us today. Thank you that you're a good God and you love us supremely. 
you've provided for our future, and you're with us in our present. And we look to your promises, and we have faith in you. Thank you for this word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week.